Hello, everyone, and welcome to season one of the Spacemakers podcast, celebrating the people behind some of our most beloved artists, directors, business minds, and entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Kathy Pierre. On today's episode, we have award-winning actress and writer and fellow Canadian, Tamara Podemski. We talk about what it's like being an Indigenous actor and writer in Canada and the village that supported her along the way. Uh, writer, producer, actress, Tamara Podemski, thank you for joining me on Spacemakers Podcast. Um, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about your start. So shout out to Claude Watson, School for the Performing Arts, which is where you got your your start, I guess, <laughs> a little bit ago, just a few years ago. Yeah. Um, and I wanted yeah. to know what production, what was it? What production like got that acting bug? Like what bit you? Like what what was it that uh, that started it all? Did, did you have a moment that you were like, this is it or? Okay, well, first of all, I just want to say, I'm so happy to be here. Um, <laughs> I'm very far away from home right now. So you're making me feel very, um, yeah, it's just the, the Toronto, the Claude Watson, all those stuff are just, they just remind me of everything I, I love and where I come from. And when you're far away from home, those memories <laughs> really ground ground me so um so thank you for that um so yeah I, I, there's no shout outs that could that are loud enough uh to pay uh to to acknowledge what Claude Watson the influence that Claude Watson was I was in that program for 10 years um it is for sure the the reason I am the professional I am the um the uh my work ethic comes from that school yeah. um my friends are still all from that school. Um, and I proudly, like I say that I'm from, the, and, and there's nowhere that I go in the industry, whether it's music industry, theater, film, television, we're everywhere. Graduates from Claude Watson are everywhere. It's, it, was, um, it is, yeah. and this was a spectacular program. Yeah. Yeah. So um, to answer that question of the show, and this is very much connected to Claude Watson, I think the first musical I was taken to from, um, it was on my my 11th, maybe my, my 10th birthday, um, was my grandmother and my grandfather took me to Les Miserables. It was like 90, it was like the early 90s. And um, uh, yeah changed my life. I mean, uh, I think also when you go to something in your own city, like it was not, I knew about Broadway, I knew about everything. I'd always loved musical theater, but when you take the subway downtown mm -hmm. and it's in your own city. And so for that, I know that the access I had to these things, the exposure that I had and the grandparents that um, were so committed to uh, they they were art lovers as well but they took that time to take us to everything and it was very much because of my my mm -hmm. grandmother that she embedded that deep appreciation for for art so that was my birthday present went to Les Mis fell in love it was amazing but the next day I went to the bathroom at Mini Claude and it was Cosette I can't even remember what her name was. Alana. Uh -huh. She was uh -huh. in your, not, I don't know if she was in your grade. She might've been a grade. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Oh, she was Cosette. And oh. I was in the bathroom. That's right. Like, was, oh she my a year, was she a year older than you? Oh man. I don't, I, I don't know if she was, she might've been two. 
she might have been two years younger than me. So she, I just been under, she, she would have been under me. Yeah. Mm. I think her name was Alana. Alana something. I'm gonna have to I was not friends up. with her, but I, 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 was, I was starstruck. <gasps> but it was a weird starstruck because when you see, and I think the gift of that was that a dream that you think that is so unattainable ends up being right in front of your face and you see that it is a young girl in the school that you go to mm. and it distorted all of that like you know maybe what you you would naturally think of like well that's not possible for me right if that's the the default mode of any young dreamer right. um it's like hold on you were in limit you, you were on stage just it just it and maybe uh-huh. that moment was much more responsible for the trajectory that happened after that of like, Amazing. you can do that. Well, I can do that. Yeah, we're <laughs> in the same classes. Um, we have the same course, teachers. Was, it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You're in Toronto. You live here. I, um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's little things like, like those moments um, that started to close the distance between crazy uh, dreams of performing on stage. That's the best story. And now I'm going to find her and also interview her. Because <laughs> oh I wonder if she's still in the I earth. can't believe I forgot her name. I haven't thought of her. In, but like that moment, I remember. But I don't even know. And I can't even remember how she responded to me. I think I just asked, I don't even know if I said anything. I don't even know what the exchange was. I know that the playing of the moment lasted for years, but um, like the impact of the moment, but I don't even know if I asked her. I just know that that was Cosette and she was washing her hands. So I don't even know if we said anything. In the blue tiled sink. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. Oh, I love that. Um, Okay, so after that, um, were you still at Claude when you booked your first professional gig? I guess it was the TV show. Um, uh, what was it called? Oh my God, it's failing you right now. Um, Ready or not? Or is it Blau Vogel? Oh, Blau Vogel, the, the German one? Yeah. Yes, I was. The first thing I, I, I the first show I, um, or movie I did was called Dance Be Outside. That was Bruce McDonald's film. Okay. And that was, I think I was already at, uh, I was in grade nine. I was at Earl Hegg by that point. So yeah, I was a dance major. And and again, like not, uh, I was uh, I was a dance major. I loved theater. I loved performing. I loved musical theater because it allowed you to dance and sing at the same time. But I, you know, there were the drama majors and there was the dance majors. And so it was actually through, um, you know, the back of Now Magazine, there's all the auditions for dancers and um, and there was an audition for, it was like for my age, it was for a music video, but I was like 15 at the time. So my dad took me and it was in, oh my God, I want to say like the Max Club or I can't remember what the, but it was, it was a, it was one of those like big clubs on Richmond right. Street. Right. That had, that had a, had a million yeah. names. <laughs> yeah. And um, it was, uh, and they put me in a cage and I was dancing and I, it was kind of inappropriate, like for a fit, even though that's what a lot of us were doing at that time, <laughs> dancing in the gloves. But um, it was, it was a da- I just wanted to be a dancer in a music video. Um, but the, the, the director of the music video was Bruce McDonald, 
who, you know, had a, he was just, there was just like a little side gig that he was doing yeah. directing the music video, but then he had this other film. And when he found out that, and when he cast me for the music video and explained what would actually be happening in it, which was, I think I was like, we'd be making out in the back of the car. Uh, I was like, I don't think that's appropriate for me. <laughs> and I'm sorry, yeah. I don't want to break, break into the business that way. And I'm sure my dad wouldn't um, sign off on that. So <laughs> I, I, I said, you know, thank you, but, but no. And he said, well, um, there's another film that I'm working on. Um, and it's uh, about, you know, a bunch of kids on the res who um, wow. it's based on a story by W.P. Kinsella. And I'd love to tell you about it. But, you know, he was like an older man asking a young actress, I have a film that would be really great for you. Right. And so I was like, uh-uh, no, this, that ain't right. I've I'm, seen I'm this good. story. I watched, I watched fame. <laughs> so I brought my big sister, Jen, and told her about this guy. And I was like, but he's, he's legitimate. Like we know that he had done Highway 61 by that point. Like we knew okay. who he, who he was. Um, so she came to dinner and she got cast in the lead role. And I got the... <laughs> <laughs> the supporting role but it was better that it was it was meant to be like that but uh, I, I always like to say that I'm responsible for her big you know her big big breakout role <laughs> in Dancing the Outside um but yeah basically that was that was how we we got into it which was amazing and I think also I I, I think of you know when you talk about um how we get to where we are and why and the experience that shaped that journey to have my first film experience kind of under the wing of my sister in this really protected um I knew that someone had my back I knew I didn't meet parents on set and it was very different when you're when you're a child actor and your parents are there this was my sister my best friend my mentor I watched so much of how she you know carried herself on set how she interacted she was still young herself she was only 18 um, but uh, that was probably, um, yeah, I, the the healthiest way I could have been introduced into the yeah, film industry. Really, really it was it. also in a company of my fellow Indigenous actors. So um, my whole introduction was this communal, um, very kind of, um, you know, we were we were all teenagers. So. There was uh, there was just a way that we took out took took care of each other, mm. and me being the youngest, it was even more. I felt uh, I felt so protected. That's beautiful. Um, and speaking of being an indigenous actor, um, what was it like to be in that space in the '90s? Like, we didn't talk about it. Like, I knew because as children, you talk about where you're from, and I'm Caribbean, and you're um indigenous and but you don't really understand the gravity of that so what was that like in that space especially your first movie being in your community and then branching out from that who was, well, I was there anybody it, was, did you have elders that were helping guide you guys through this process well um so I, I think first of all it was it was um naively uh not that we took it for granted but year like now we're 25 years later um you're not seeing like that was north of 60 that was on cbc that was the res that was on there were more 
Native people on TV <laughs> 20 uh, years ago than there right now. So it's right. a very weird, I feel like there's a, we, we've gone back in, in, in so many ways, there's the represent the representation mm -hmm. on TV has been reduced, and yet our content creators and the people behind telling the stories, the people who are making the stories happen and putting it, and, and now the ones who are really the engines behind the stories that we're seeing, and the ones who are changing the way that we're being seen, that's that's can't compare it to what was 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, so in that way, it's a very different time. Also, the conversation has changed in terms of, you know, the language people use, the awareness. There's just, there's things that aren't acceptable now that were, that uh, we were just, um, we just dealt with. Um, and so I, I would say that the coming in to the business in the 90s was a very exciting time. It is it was the time when um, Indians were popular. They were just like everyone, everyone wanted to see both the historical pieces. So this is Dances with Wolves. You know, this is like Thunderheart. Right. This is, um, you know, Graham, Graham Greene, Tantu, Sheila Towsey. Um, you know, there was uh, Irene Bedard, Smoke Signals, and then North of 60. And, and North of 60 wasn't just the like North of 60, was just turning people into superstars yeah, <laughs> and then over and sure. then you just got the the tv movies out of that like it, it 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 was this time where we realized people actually want to watch our stories because i remember we did two seasons of the res so the res was a spin-off from dancing outside mm -hmm. and <clears throat> it was like it wasn't just for us this was mainstream television and mm -hmm. our numbers were crazy like mm -hmm. We were on the same, we, we were, we were on the same, people were tuning into our shows as much as they were tuning into, you know, dominant society, popular, you know, white shows. Right. So even that, um, maybe distort, not distorted, but like, um, uh, I was introduced into the business at a time where I felt very welcome, <laughs> even if I had to deal with some stuff of like, you know, the farthest extreme, like of the, the German series, Brad Vogel, um, you know, where I'm at, it's the buckskin role. And, and so you're, you're, you're dealing with some um, ideas and stereotypes that you just, you just grow a thick skin. You just, I think the difference between back then is it's not that you didn't make a big deal about it. Um, there was no, there was nothing to be won by saying, you can't do that. And that could have just been my very young, um, not owning my voice yet. Yeah. Um, uh, kind of that, that's as far as I was able to speak. I didn't know what the benefit of speaking up was. Right. I didn't know you, you say, you can't put mud on, on me to make us look like dirty Indians. Like that's a buckskin dress. And the reason we always set up by the lakes so we clean ourselves <laughs> so it was just like yeah things like you just look too clean you just look too pretty um that's why we braided our hair you know it just keeps everything out of your face keeps everything nice and, <laughs> nice right. and yeah while we're working while we're traveling while we're so it's it was you know even my sister jen worked on wardrobe of of the german series and 
it's all just like all you have is stereotype. People just had no access to what real in, the real information Indigenous was. Life. Yeah. Yeah. So um and we and we were just so excited to be able to um be included in this industry. And that's really what it felt like. It wasn't until years of then just doing buckskin after buckskin or or like how many times can I get murdered? I have been murdered more on television, I think, or or beaten or like I it just, I think I went through 15 or 20 years of that before I actually said, no, no more. Mm. But mm -hmm. that's an, that's a, that's way, that's a many, many, many years yeah. of being the native role that gets murdered right. before I even understood there's got to be another story. Yeah. So did you have uh, mentors in that time that kept you level headed or, or just with some sort of with looking at it with another lens or some perspective? Well, I, I, you know, J Jenny Mazzone also, uh, she won the Award of Excellence in, for the Actor Awards uh, the other night. And, and she has been one of my, um, my heroes, my mentors, you know, there was, there was herself, Monique Mojica, um, Michelle St. John, there were, um, and, and my sister, um, there were a bunch of, uh, yeah, there were, there were a bunch of really strong powerhouse women who were, um, who, who were, I, I saw working and who I, who I knew in real life to be like, do not mess with that woman. Mm. Like the, they were so, um, you know, sure of how they walked in the world. And, and so I guess I just figured that if I was in shows with them, then, then it would be, then, then it's okay. Then this is a, this is a, a safe, uh, this is good, or this is right. Mm. So I'm the first to say that I, I was young and I was, I was watching, if someone told me it was different, then I would have probably um, responded in a different way. But I think I was following in the path of um, women actors, because we weren't yet producing writing, like that wasn't happening back then. So mm. I was just following in the way of um, indigenous women actors who were so professional, whose who's, the main thing was that when they show up on work, because you know that you are representing now a people who aren't even um, included in a conversation or included in this industry, so that you have to show up as better than, like more prepared than anyone else. Mm -hmm. um, uh, a, a you know, more, more connected and, and uh, um, interested in the people that you're working with, like that we were bringing kind of those, um, those values of being good, you know, integrity, um, being respectful. Mm -hmm. And I would say more than the, this is how I need to be represented, like, this is how I want to uh, be seen on TV. It was more about how do you do the work that you do? Mm -hmm. and 
I feel like that was the strongest influence that I had from these women. They taught me to be a um, just a a, a, a proud um, uh, and um, confident uh, artist who could walk into a space and deliver. Right. And I and and that might not sound like the most radical, like um, this is how we change the world. But I know that I still walk, like show up on set with only trying to do that. Right. And and that it just it, I don't know. Maybe it helps me or um, not get caught up with the other stuff. Yeah. Absolutely. And so, um, I don't know if that answers your question. It, it, no, it, it did. It's a, hard, it, it's a hard one. They, um, there is, there's phases to what this um, reclamation of our stories and our identity, mm-hmm. there's phases to what that process has been over the last 30 years. And there are times where the most important thing is, is showing that you're capable. You know, they just, there, there's there's this this idea that we're just not as experienced. I mean, how can you be as ex- ex- experienced? We 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 don't get that many opportunities to to experience. Work. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah. so there's so much catching up to do. And and for me, I, I I mean, it was this terrible thing when I was a singer. I was like, I'm just as good as white actors. Like I really am. Why can't you? What like why can't you ever like? And and so that has been my 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 journey as a and like a, there was a point in my career where I was like no more native roles because if I keep doing native roles they're not going to see that I can that I actually can can compete on the same level. Yeah, um, you can play a mom. You can play the girl. Exactly. Mom, you can play exactly. The yeah, absolutely. And yeah. so, um, and I know that I learned to be the the actor that I am. Mm-hmm. predominantly from indigenous artists my indigenous artist community is who taught me how to be how to do my work in this way how to ground my work in something more important than you know how many how many like tv ratings you know absolutely so we're going back a little bit yeah you also have three albums which is to be fair i did not know <laughs> about i was like wait <laughs> To be fair, two of them aren't in my name, so that's okay. Okay. Um, so talk, talk to me about that journey, journey and who was instrumental in, in that, because that's a totally different medium, totally different world. Yeah. You were younger. Um, yeah. So what, what was that like? And what was it like from a traditional, because they were traditional albums. So, and yeah. I'm saying so, this right, Anishinaabe? Did I say Anishinaabe, that right? yeah. Yeah. So Anishinaabe so is the, you were in our, a, the Ojibwe. It's, in English, it's Ojibwe. In our language, it's Anishinaabe, um, and the language is Anishinaabe mm-hmm. Um So basically, uh, I I did two years of rent, um, right. and and even if I was a you know somewhat uh, decent singer before, I was very inexperienced, and my voice was probably of, in all my kind of skills singing was the most challenging for me it just required the most amount of focus but two years on Broadway that that got my voice into you shape Marie, and correct? I was more I mean, yeah I started off as Mrs. Cohen I started off as the ensemble um, yeah. and then uh, and then made my way to Maureen 
but I I came into my voice in that show and 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 that's when all of a sudden songs that I had been writing just as a teenager just started to have voice mm. and 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 a little bit more confidence and a little bit more um yeah curiosity of like what, what can I do with this and uh I came back to Toronto finished the show and it was a call out of nowhere that uh, of a band in Los Angeles that was looking for an indigenous singer who sings in their language. And so oh. the weird thing was that um, Broadway was kind of so intense for me and, and took a really took a toll on my body and, but mostly my mind and my heart. <laughs> and so when I finished the show, um, I left the business like, I needed a full break and I and I said no shows no nothing just need to like go into real life which is very uh, brave I I would have it could have been brave I think it was like um self-preservation wow yeah it was it was not a great uh yeah it was a it was probably one of the one of the biggest um reality chess I also grew up there right I, I think I was there from like 20 to 22 um and so I I I just understood the toll that it all takes and the other thing is I had always previously done community work um mm. amidst that that always grounded me as to what and it just stayed it, it allowed me to to connect to other people I didn't for two years I didn't get to do any of that if the schedule doesn't allow that the mm -hmm. energy doesn't allow that mm -hmm. so I feel like I really lost touch with with it was just performing and performing to me has to be balanced out with something else yeah. and even though it feels really good I think that's what allows what what kind of can can, can allow you to get uh disconnected from from what's really going on not only that you can't see people's faces it's like well, you know, in the in those big shows, it's um, it's very impersonal. Even though you hear them and you see the standing ovation, like when the lights come up, there's, it's it's really just about the the show, and um, so yeah, I I I, I can't end people moving through very quickly. Yeah, and you develop relationships um, and then they leave, and then you know you don't see them ever again. My, or yeah, yeah, my yeah. fragile heart <laughs> yeah. was too much, and so came back to Toronto I actually put myself I went to University of Toronto I was like I just want a world that makes sense I want a little bit if I work really hard you get um you, you get a reward or you get like there were just there were equations I think made sense so anyway in at University of Toronto uh, I went into Indigenous Studies and Hebrew Literature which is my other half so my dad's Israeli my mom's Anishinaabe and so I thought how perfect I'll just I'll just take both and and balance out my identity crisis and uh and one of the things I took so I was taking Hebrew but I was also taking um Ojibwe and my mushan who was a fluent speaker so my grandfather was a fluent speaker my mom's dad um but he didn't teach seven children the language um so when he came out of residential school and my grandmother came out of residential school they made a conscious effort they always spoke with each other but they made a, a conscious effort not to teach the children so that they would have a better time assimilating. Yeah, and, and that that was a, what yeah. a lot of immigrant yeah. experience where it's just like, no, we want you to not go through that experience of having yeah. to learn a second language and be cast in the ESL block and like all that stuff. So yeah, yeah, I, I, I can never and, blame them 
for those choices because they're really trying to protect us. Yeah, and um, they, they, you know, when there was also if they didn't teach them, there was no other place to access that. Mm-hmm. So um, as much anger as I had towards, you know, my him or or my mother for not finding for not seeking that out for herself you can just be pissed off for so long until you do something about it so I was like so you just start from the beginning so I took an Ojibwe class and uh, it it just makes sense to me I I I I relate I I hear the language I am not fluent by any means but I did find um it's also I would say an easier language than some other languages if like in terms of a foreign something that's foreign in your mouth Ojibwe Mm -hmm. is these long vowels there's no actual sound that isn't that you can't make if by speaking English as your first language so that was a very easy thing um whereas some of the other uh you know you go into the some of the Haudenosaunee languages or the or the um the western languages and and uh it would just be it's so different from from English um so anyway I I I fell in love with the language um I took it for a couple years so when this call came in as an indigenous singer to sing in their language I knew enough to string together um, some songs. And I also had my musham who I would just give him all the songs and say, how does this sound? Like he would just fix the grammar. So it's I'm very sorry, basic. Can I interrupt you? What's a yeah. musham? Oh, grandfather. Okay. Oh, that's yes. so, oh, Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So actually in, in, in Ojibwe, it's, um, Moshomas, uh, but my my grandmother was Cree, and for whatever reason, we refer to both of them in their Cree in, um, names, which is Mosham and Kukum. <laughs> I don't know why that happened, but that's just um, just in case there's somebody who's Anishinaabe saying that's not how we say. It. <laughs> so it's actually Cree, but he's he's uh, he's Anishinaabe. Um, so anyway, he would I would just call him with each song when I finished. They were basic songs. They basically they wanted they had written all the music. Mm-hmm. And they just wanted someone to come in with lyrics. And, and the, the, the cool thing about Anishinaabe Moen is it's, uh, it's um, languages with pre- uh, like where a word and there's just pre- prefixes and suffixes. So you're just constantly adding on to one big word. So you end up with these words that are really, really long, which when you're writing a song, it's actually just this one word per verse <laughs> almost because you're saying all these things oh, that are happening. Amazing. And it, I found it very... Um, not easy but uh it was I, I found it very natural to write a song that's in it so it worked great um except that like, we'd had Los Angeles you know was recording my first album and just before it came out um the the label folded <sighs> so I think they pressed some CDs yeah do you have it? the best part yeah, it's on iTunes. Oh, okay. It's called Spirit okay. Nation. Okay, great. Um, <laughs> but it like, never oh. got no, like you know, you. It was a very exciting thing. Um, I thought it was going to come out. Like I, you know, there would be a CD release. Those were the days. You have a CD release. <laughs> you get some kind of press. You'd get some kind of, uh, and it was contemporary music in. Um, it was like uh, it was electronica. It was like a contemporary electronica music in Anishinaabe, which was to me like the coolest thing. To me, it was like 
especially what was happening at that time in, in, the, in the film industry, we were trying to get out of buckskin, stop seeing us in the past. We are here, we are living in your modern world. We are beside you on the subways. We are, you might not know, but you need to now start to get used to how we look in contemporary world mm. and, that, and, and just get comfortable, comfortable with, with us out of buckskin. So it was a really, it was a really um, important moment for me to say no more right. buckskin. And um, even when we did the cover photo, it was like this like ethereal, otherworldly. And for me, that was when I started. So it's still pretty young. It was like, I was maybe 23 at the time. I was starting to understand this is how you change narratives. Mm. You don't ask permission these isn't and that, when I say that thing about showing up on set and how do you where the conversations happen and I think that over time because you can have the confrontation I've never been confrontation I, I observe I watch sometimes I'm, a, I'm I'm too silent and that's I think what the earlier years were but then this I found a way of doing it in a non-confrontational way where you offer suggestion of like, well, what if we do this? And they don't even realize that they're now part of changing a narrative, you know? Oh, absolutely. So that was really cool. It's just that nothing happened in the album. So did you ever keep in touch with them after that? Or it just sort of fizzled? No. That was it. That was um, it. you know, I, I performed the the song. The the cool thing was that I I could do something with the music. And so mm -hmm. I opened the Aboriginal Achievement, the National Aboriginal Achievement Awards with one of the songs. And that was probably, that was what launched my singing career, certainly within the community, mm -hmm. like in the indigenous community in Canada and in the States. And that's when I started touring with a band because people hadn't, it, it wasn't really a, a, a normal, not normal, it wasn't really a, a familiar thing to see pop music in the language. Right. So that was pretty radical at the time. And, and so I just rode with it. It was fun. I put a band together. We toured. I kind of piggybacked it onto my acting career. So if I was doing something on location for something, I would just say, you know, is there a show somewhere? I started doing music workshops, hand drum workshops. I just started incorporating the music. And especially because the music was the one thing that I could control. I was not writing at the time. So I was still an actor who was showing up and speaking other people's words and mm. doing the thing that they wanted me to do. When I found my music, it was like a whole new world. It was like, I was responsible for how, uh, for, for what, what I'm saying and how, and how this is coming across. So that when the second album happened, which is a, a record label in Toronto, which was like a concept-based album, that was um, also they wanted. Uh, I was now writing the music at the same time as writing the lyrics. So um, you could advocate together. for yourself. Yeah, it was even it was even yeah. greater. I felt like it was even more empowering. This was going to be um, an even greater chance to show these are not traditional songs. These are contemporary songs in the language. That's it. Yeah. If I was to translate them into English, it would be a folk song or it would be a rock song. Or, mm. And um, so what was very exciting about that. And then they came with me to, uh, they came and presented the cover art and it was a teepee and it was my face in braid. Like they superimposed my face <laughs> and they princess with like braids and buckskin. 
And I was like, I can't, I can't do that. That's what, what's the teepee? What, what is this? And they said, it's because it's a concept album. We want to show it's the same. It's that same record label that does, you know, like the two wine glasses and this dinner jazz. And, um, you know, like it's, that's a concept album. You put on the CD and it takes you to the world of like, now we're in Native American spirituality back. And you're like, there's so many like, other these are, these are not, these are not These are not traditional songs. They're certainly not ceremonial songs. It has nothing to do with the teepee. And they're not from a long time ago. These are right now current songs. And they say, yeah, but this is what's gonna, this is, this is how people recognize this, right? Just buckskins and teepees. And so, I, and so, yeah, whatever progress I thought had been <laughs> made was not the case, or maybe it was, but it's just the thing is, progress is very much specific to circumstances and, and places. And, and so one didn't cancel, cancel the other, but it just let me know that every single project or people that you meet is a new conversation that you just have to equip yourself with, um, you know, the, the right, um, yeah, the right approach. And the right approach in this case was, it was, I had no rights to, yeah. I signed everything away. Right. Um, so you, learned, uh, so you learned from that, yeah. I, but what I could do is not let them use my face or my name. And so the second album is under a pseudonym name and they put someone else's face on the cover. But I was, but I was like, that's fine. It's, it's just, I, I can't be my face. Yeah. And then I took all those songs and I toured them all over the world. So wherever I would go, I would have my hand drum and I would have my band and we would sing the songs that, that I wrote. Mm. Um, and that's how I, that's how I balanced that out. And then the third, the third album was me just, I made my own record label. I said, no, you guys don't get to say anything anymore about how I do this. Who I helped you put, um, with the third album? What was it? Um, do you remember who? Who helped me? Oh well, my producer was uh, I ha um, who uh, Karen Kazowski. I found a, a producer who saved my life, and who um, kind of just she's now she's now in Nashville. She's a super big. She's another just Toronto superstar who's killing it in Nashville. Um, yeah, she is a dear friend and sister now. But uh, but yeah, at, at that time where I had to um, do it my own way, I think I put twenty five thousand dollars on a visa. Wow. Visa helped me. <laughs> that I had to pay off for the next 10 years yeah um yeah it was there was no other way to do it. I don't regret any moment of it it was it was it was certainly anyone who and at that time you needed studios like you it would be a very different thing if you were doing it right now oh yeah but that was at this point yeah <laughs> that was like 15 years 15 years ago mm. um but that was for me that was that was what needed to be done and I have you in the music is the only place that I really feel like I've got to do it my own way hmm. acting is much more difficult and and um I only up until a couple of years ago did I did I finally that same thing that you feel disempowered what are you gonna do so now change it and so that it was only a couple of years ago that I started writing so that I could tell the stories in a different way. Right. Luckily, a whole bunch of other people started writing at the same time. Exactly. <laughs> so, exactly. I, I have been an incredible wave of Indigenous writers who are now um, 
you know, changing the story that we're seeing on, on television. Absolutely. Um, and speaking of, you know, your numbers of years in TV, but four sheets to the wind, that was a huge arc moment, right? Like that was, yeah. that was the shooting star trajectory moment. Yeah. What, um, was there someone that was instrumental in opening up that door? Was it people that in your community that you worked with? Like, how did that come about? Yeah, totally. So the, I guess the thing is there's, there's, um, yeah, it's, it's such a good question because I, even with the music, those aren't nice stories of the people around mm. who directed it in a different way. Mm. But my mushroom, I, I became a songwriter because of my mushroom. Mm. So it was never like, and he didn't teach me anything about music business, but it, it's, it's, it's so interesting how it was not, it was all, it was the personal connections. It was, it was very rarely do I have a story where you can ask me that question. I'm going to say the person who was in the business who, you know, took, it was my sister. It was my grandfather. It was these, you know, women I consider my, my aunties and my mentors um, that I knew personally from the community that taught me how to be in the, in the business. And, and even Karen Kazowski, who was, you know, a local musician who became a producer for her own purposes, because she needed to find out how, how to get her music out there. Mm. Um, and, and so even with four sheets, which was the biggest thing I had done in film only happened because one night in New York, after coming off stage from rent, I come to the backstage door and there is this like big, beautiful, brown skin man who is like tall above the crowd. It's like, I can see all these other people. And then there is just this beautiful Indian man. And his name is Bird Running Water. So that again? He was Bird Running Water. Bird Running Water, I love so it. Bird, was working in New York at the time shortly after we became instant we became friends and um he then moved to Sundance and he runs the indigenous film office at Sundance he's been running that for about 20 years oh beautiful so Bird um yeah he is you know in my Oscar speech it'll be about Bird because he his main you know he, he has many talents but his main um kind of uh purpose is finding all the voices and showing them where to come to tell your stories and then he, he's like this he's like he's like this guy who just has his ear to the ground he is the connector. He is the guy who, who knows who is who and what's and what and where and and how to help them um, either uh, find that person, find that mentor, um, find the funding, find the actors they need for that. He 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 was that, and I don't think there's anyone in the. Um, indigenous film world right now who can't it's six degrees of bird that's that's what oh i love this man birds like birds like our ava duvernay hey listen we all so need if that we all need, yes we all need one he is incredible. a champion of indigenous artists indigenous storytellers um 
and he has such a keen you know uh eye and ear for 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 these voices that you know you have to be first of all you have to know where to find these voices and then you have to um because they're they're far away they're 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 not in the um you know in 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 the place and they're not voices that are louder or like know even how to be heard so um he just yeah anyway i can't say enough about him oh, but um there was a filmmaker sterling harjo in oklahoma yes. who was making his film and he'd gone through everybody you know there's an american you know there's playbook casting <laughs> book that you're like yeah exactly <laughs> and bird said you know you should you should check out tamara panemski i saw her in rent she's this so jibway chick she lives up in canada but um yeah give her a try and that was the first call that came in so it wasn't my agent i mean this was not a a, a, a breakdown that comes out that um, right you know they, every, they, this was a, a random call of bird told me about you um can you put a tape together and that's what i did and special and jury prize for acting at sundance in 2007 happened it was cuckoo football. it was crazy amazing yeah. So, wow. I love that story. That's just uh, incredible. Um, I can't say, I don't think there's any normal story that I have. It is always about the personal connection. And I think when I say that thing about what did I learn from these people, it's how to show up and be a good person. And the crazy thing is I would say that my career, and there have been some dark phases, like, or even just some like, let's call them very long hiatuses. Yes. <laughs> yes. But there the 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 tools of um of just being a good human being was probably my greatest currency because that allowed me to make friends yeah that allowed me to bond and connect and um and 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 just not feel so uh alone <laughs> mm. and more jobs have come from those connections than from any um i got spotted in a cafe and somebody came or my video went viral or yeah absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. yeah yeah i love those stories those stories are They're great, great. it's never yeah. been my story and i think that those stories are like five percent of our industry <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. Um, so what draws you back to theater? The Edward Curtis project, how we got there, how we got here. What, what um, draws you back? Because you took a hike. Probably because that's, the, that, that's, the, that's where I, I started. So in Toronto, you know, we have Native Earth Performing Arts. And that was my, those were my first theater jobs. Um, at the, uh, you know, probably when I was, at the same time, Dance Me Outside. That's, that's when, that's, that's where I met all these women who ended up being, in in the tv shows mm. but i met every one of my heroes of you know the uh jenny was on Mahika, michelle st john i met them in theater um they are they are and anyone in toronto who is who knows theater they know these women because um they they've just been both as writers as producers as uh as 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 Creators. performers yeah um yeah 
that was probably where I learned to be a storyteller for sure. So for me, it's just the the most uh, comfortable, um, humbling, uh, and um, it's like it's you just get it's like the learning environment. You learn on set for sure. It's just it's just too quick. It's too quick to to have like the, the process that actually allows you to um, to to filter it all through and. And I feel like rehearsal process, what happens to me in rehearsal process is, uh, is transformative. And it gets to seep into my body and it becomes like a slow, you know, it's like the, the, the slow seep. And um, which is not the same as film and television. So I just, I find it um, to, to support my, my healthy and um, maybe uh, um, slower uh, uh, um, let's just say healthy relationship to support my healthy relationship with my body and myself as a performer theater is the best place for me to do that and and I say that only in terms of indigenous theater I, I don't have much experience mm -hmm. in, in the other commercial and when I had in the other commercial it, it's it's taken quite a toll on me so the way that we create a space in Native theater of the rehearsal process of the dynamics with, with each other and of the stories that we tell and how we support ourselves in some of those very um, traumatic stories, mm. the way we support our body, our mind, our spirit um, and the relationships, it's just, it's like a reset. I always get this Grounding. reset. It doesn't mean it's like happy, happy, joy, joy. It's very rarely that, yeah. but it it's a place where I get to sort out Lovely. Yeah. Um, so now you've added writer, story producer. Talk to me about the documentary series Future History. And you get to do it with your sister again. So yeah. shout out to Jennifer. Um, um and yeah. CBC and, and CBC embraced you guys. So that's a, that's pivotal in, in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um so CBC uh took uh I think they bought our first season and it's on CBC Gem. Mm -hmm. I think they might have bought our second season. Um, but it was really APTN that a lot, that that was the main network for us to to do season one and season two. Um, Future history was a, um, a Jen Jen so Jen was going to write it, but she's a a, a, a union. Uh, she's in the Writers Guild, so she couldn't write it, and so she had to find a writer who was not union. So. This is like I tell you, it's not the, the the he saw me in the cafe and said, I want you to star in my film. No, this is my sister who's like, shit, I can't write this. I need a I need a native writer <laughs> who's not in the union, who I can pay really cheap and uh and who knows what what I want to say. And um it just worked out perfectly. I had been living in England for uh, for a few years um, with my husband and we started our family there and we were we just uh we were in the the throes of uh the, well in the aftermath of losing our second son so we had had a horrific uh ordeal uh, at loss at the hospital um and with a full inquiry and a full um, lawsuit that followed 
and um, yeah, you were, I was just in hiding. I was, well, I was in healing, but I was in, I just needed to tap out of, of everything. And um, we moved to Barrie and we just, we kind of sheltered and we took care of ourselves. And we didn't do, we knew that if we didn't take care of ourselves now, if we didn't plant the pain in a good way and, and, and give ourselves what we needed, then we were going to screw our, the rest of our lives up. And so it was this time of um, just rooting and, um, and a lot of uh, self care and therapy. And, uh, and out of that, my sister came with this and she was like, you can do it at your home. You don't have to leave the house. You don't have to see anyone. You don't have to, it was like a job that would allow me to just kind of creep back, like tip my toe in, um, not fully engage with the world again, which I was not ready to do, mm-hmm. but I could at least start to wake up those parts of me again. So it was the perfect time for me to discover a new part of me um, in a safe way and allow me to connect with the world because I was, we were in lockdown. Mm-hmm. So it's so crazy because the pandemic, like there was in all the things that we've had to do here, we're like, we know this, we know this, <laughs> we got shut it. down, isolation, um, just self-preservation. So um, future history required me to find, uh, so we, we featured three kind of, we were calling them rematriation warriors, people who are reclaiming the, the indigenous narrative, people who were challenging these colonial concepts of who we are here in Canada. So we were only looking at um, kind of, uh, you know, very locally, Ontario, and I think we went into Quebec, but we would, uh, it was like a road, uh, like a road documentary where they would go and they would um, find uh, someone who was working in, um, you know, the, the past. So this museum, this preservation of, of, of culture and this kind of containment and how they were dismantling that and bringing it into the future. And then people who were also these, you know, just change makers and um, that were uh, part of this massive political movement and this activism that was happening, you know, post Standing Rock. There's just this, right. it was a really, all of these people were coming out, these incredible voices. Um, but the cool thing was, is that it's all my community, they're all people that I, that I knew. It's, a, it's not a thing you can pitch to a writer that has that's totally out of, out of, uh, doesn't know oh, this world. Yeah, they need so to these are people that I'm literally like just calling on the phone. Um, not that I was friends with all of them, but I, I knew who we wanted to speak to. I knew who was, we're not looking for the people who CBC likes to, you know, do, do, do the, the, the one hour biographies. We wanted the grassroots. That was the most important thing. We wanted to, to feature these, these, um, these people that um, were, were changing the game mm-hmm. and, and sometimes so radically and then other times, um, uh, maybe you, you didn't even notice who was behind this big movement. And then you go back, 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 and then you see like, oh, that's who you are. Like we were, the people were so inspiring at a time in my life where like hope and faith were just were were it was it was the perfect job mm. that almost made me 
like dig into the research more. So even if I thought I knew it would be great for that, it no, go more, go deeper, go what, what else? And so um, for me, sometimes I would hang up the phone and I would be weeping for either because the stories were so um, inspirational, so heartbreaking, but all of them were these champions, were these like, like superhero status. And then you realize it's not a superhero. That's just, that's just a person. That's just a person who, 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 who knows how to make this situation, how to turn it on its head and pull it by the freaking, I don't know, reins, horns, whatever it is. And like, uh, and yeah, it was, uh, yeah, season one, we figured, we figured it out. Um, I'd say that was like our, 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 our first pass at how we wanted to tell the story. And still it was, it was uh, the first time for all of us to do a documentary series like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but season two, when we got renewed and we got a, a, another chance to now shape the story mm-hmm. and focus not just on the, the, the two, the, the people who we were featuring. So we have these you know, three profiles we do each episode but how can we then take our two hosts and give them a really rich personal journey? And that's where I feel like I, I, I grew up as, as a writer a little bit more. Writing a documentary series, yeah. yeah. Writing a documentary series, yeah. you're not writing script, you're writing yeah. scenarios, environment, you're sh- shaping the tone of, of things. Um, you're putting people, I'm finding all the people. So there's, there's that, but, but the next element, which I think is why season two was recognized and Jen was uh, Jen won best director for the series. I was nominated for best screenwriter. That happened in season two because we just, we understood more. And and that's what I really, I, I feel so strongly about of, you know, what the indigenous voices in the industry has, has can only happen from experience, mm-hmm. from, from, being given the opportunity to write and write and write, to show up on set and and deliver and deliver and deliver, for us to be able to be on that level, it's and 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 we're years behind mm-hmm. other people who've had that opportunity had to do it yeah. regularly. So, and the proof is, you get renewed for a second season, and that's the one that, and all of a sudden. Okay, yeah, you can write now. Okay, what well, that was Jen's first time directing also. So, you know, so we can't get to those moments unless we're given the opportunity. Process. The process. To- yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So I know I wasn't as good as a writer in season one. Like you, you can't be. You just right. you need practice. And yeah. um and then and again, making the show, I the show only happened. And I only did it because it was Jen's show. Um, I think what happened after losing Benjamin, losing our son, it just redirected the work that I want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, when you talk about, you know, the village that helps me to do my work, post trauma, for me, was a was a was a very conscious decision that. I have to work with people I know. My mental health is more important than anything. Mm. Forget about the job. 
I'm a mom. I have a husband. I have, I'm a daughter. I'm, I'm a sister. Like I just, there are too many things, too many things are on the line if, if I can't be well. And so, and no job is worth risking that. So I can consciously say, and coroner is very much my post-trauma that was my first work opportunity. And that only happened because of what those women created and the space that they created. And they knew right off the bat, like my character was pregnant. I mean, the way that they supported me mm-hmm. in that conversation, when we came back to season two, they're like, do you want to still be pregnant? Do you want to keep birth? Do you want to? And I was like, you were asking me, you were asking me questions as an actor that no one ever would ever ask. Who are these wonderful women? These are Adrian Mitchell and Borwin Brebner, the producers of, uh, of Coroner. Amazing. And when I say, you know what, I don't think I could give birth. The fact that they were women, right? Because they know to ask those questions. So there's also, there's also that space, having women in that space with you. So there's, there's thought, a thought process that goes, oh yeah, just wouldn't happen, you know, otherwise. No, No. I I mean, I say that loosely because yes, of course there are male uh, producers that, that are more sensitive and more aware, but you're going to get that from female producers. Oh yeah. No, that was very, and, and could also, and even it's not a guarantee just because they're women that, that they're going to say, gonna you put it on a pregnant belly. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, messes with your head. So um, mm-hmm. how can we make this uh, a more, um, how can we tell this story in a trauma informed way to protect mm-hmm. you so that you can do your work to show up and this isn't a triggering experience. Um, so I just, I, I really feel that even more than ever, every job goes through the filter of who is the village that, that makes this possible. And even right now on this show, which is a big Amazon show, I've certainly never been on a show this, um, of this level before. Um, I know the producer. Yeah. Heather Ray, who is from that same world of Horses to the Wind, her film Trudel was there two years earlier. She is from that bird running water, Taika Waititi, um, that, you know, 20 years ago, these Indigenous producers and filmmakers who were um, creating space for our voices. And to know that Heather is here and she is like my mama bear. And it's an Indigenous role that I'm playing. And yeah, that's just, that's, that's how it, that's how it has to go for me. And if it means I do less work, that's fine with me. Yeah. I need to do work that I know, I know that um, people got my back. Yeah. Quality, not quantity. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh my God, this has been so amazing. Um, so do you have, and I'm, I'm going to guess that it might be Jennifer or Bird, but do you have an ultimate space maker in your life? Like someone that has been there every step of the way. Oh, well, for sure, that's Jen. Yeah. Yeah, that's my sister. Um, yeah. All right, rapid fire question for you. Um, what's your best bad decision? So that you're like, no, I shouldn't do it, I shouldn't do it, and you did it anyway, and then it turned out, like you're like, this is the worst decision, but hmm, it turns out to be the best thing you've ever, you've ever done. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, uh... Um, well, uh, yeah. Okay. So after four sheets, 
Mm -hmm. I won the award mm -hmm. and Hollywood called We're like, who's this new girl on the scene? I moved to Los Angeles. I, I was like out of a divorce. I was, I didn't have kids. There was nothing to lose, but it was, it was reactive, slightly <laughs> reactive. <laughs> moved everything there. And then about a week later after I arrived, the writer's strike happened. And there was no work <laughs> for set for seven months. And everything it was like the highest high and then complete blackout and defeat and failure I mean everything that could have happened to make it the worst decision to have put it all my eggs in one basket like that um and I didn't go home mm -hmm. and so what I instead did was I just found I just found a different way to be down there and I lived there for four years not as an actor <laughs> and I I came I found uh, Krav Maga which was this martial arts that I had been doing previously in my life and I just I found another way to to identify and I think that was one of the the survival tools that came out of that decision mm -hmm. that bombed um what like made me the fighter and the survivor I am. I mean, many things have helped that or have, uh, yeah, have impacted have supported that. me to, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, but no, what happened um, from that decision was, uh, yeah, was for sure life-changing and who I became out of that. Mm -hmm. um, and I do remember, don't go home. Don't go home. Like I remember, yeah, this is bad. This is really, really, it's really bad. And I was catering. Oh my God, I was catering at the Oscars. Like it couldn't have been more in my face. You are a failure. Oh. You, the best you're going to do is cater at the Oscars. Good for you. <laughs> Good for you. That's why you came. I mean, and so many actors. I mean, I, that's, I was only catering with actors. Oh, absolutely. So um, to get through, I mean, and, but that's, that's the gift of humility. Nothing, nothing kind of um, builds you if you, if you choose to, mm -hmm. to build up after that. <laughs> okay. So do you have a tough love mentor like uh, Simon Cowell, Gordon Ramsay, Anna Winter? Do you have that? Per Did you ever experience a person like that or have that person? Um, yeah, I would say in, uh, in fighting. So I, I, I fought pretty hard for like, uh, for four years, uh, at the, and, and taught at the Krav Maga headquarters in Los Angeles, mm. um, their voices are who I hear through, through my head. So that would be, um, uh, Jared, uh, oh my God, what's Jared's last name? Can't say that then. Um, I just said yeah. his name. I never called him by his last Jared. name. We'll find it. We'll find him. <laughs> um, I want to say Jarrett Waldman. Um, so Jarrett Waldman, um, uh, Marcus Koval, and um, yeah, though their two voices, and then probably my coach in Toronto, uh, Rob Pereira. And it's interesting, but they're not from artists. I never had a tough love. They, it was a much more different voice that came from my my artist mentors. Mm -hmm. um, but my my fighting, my my martial arts, the, their voices, they're they're who pulled me up. I'd say my husband's also pretty pretty uh you know he probably because he 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 knows the same voice he has to use for himself yeah uh, how, how to not give in <laughs> not give in to the 
to the weight of it all. Got it. And my last question, although I could talk to you for like three hours, um, who are you making space for now? Well, I'd like to think that um, I am, obviously there's a whole new generation of Indigenous actors who have reached out to me. I've taught workshops for the last 20 years all over Turtle Island, all over North America, that I get to, um, I get to witness the, um, the, the, the power of bringing, or the power of the, um, the magic of bringing the outside uh, um, experiences to people who might not have had access to that before. And when I talked about that initial thing of seeing Alana, I think in the, in the bathroom after Les Miserables, I got the gift early on to see that that dream wasn't as far away as I thought it was. And I think for youth who are in really rural communities or who are don't have access to opportunity, some of those dreams are so far away. And that is why the community work is so important mm. for me because I feel like part of creating space is showing that it's not this, it's this. And that you're in this space already. That it's not a space you have to get to or travel to. Mm. It's a space that you are a part of. And even just that, mental um uh rejigging i think mm -hmm. um i would like to think that that's what i'm what i'm offering when i when i go and that um that they're a part of it already and now just step in and here are all the ways you can step in that's amazing tamara this has been like so beautiful and lovely and thank you for your time. And thank you for reaching for out. It's so good to see you. Did we talk about our matching sweaters yet? Uh, no, but I think, you know, Power Pink, you know, that whole <laughs> movement. I think you were just in the, in that feminine space. I'm okay with it. I'm okay with I it. I love it. Thank you You're for gorgeous. giving me a reason to wear pink. Oh, <laughs> you are so beautiful. Thank you so much. It is so good to see you again. And good luck in Albuquerque. And I will get in touch thank with you. the whole list of stuff for you to do. Oh, please. Please do. I, I adore you. Thank you so much for tuning in to Spacemakers, and thank you to my guest, Tamara Podemski. And remember, there is no such thing as self-made. No matter the story, there is always that one integral character who leveraged their success, luck, confidence, positivity to create opportunities for folks coming up in their shadow. We call these special souls the Spacemakers. I'm your host, Kathy Pierre.